0: you, your lucky sausage. You found the Talk Marketing Show where the League of Marvelous Marketeers give up everything you need to be more successful in your business.
1: Ladies and gentlemen,
0: may I have your attention, please? Ten. Nine. Eight. Seven. Six. Three, two, one, go! Hello there, my name is Martin Henley. This is the effective marketing content extravaganza. And if you're new here, you won't yet know that I'm on a mission to give you everything you need to be successful in your business, providing, of course, that is that what you need to be successful in your business is to know more about and be better at effectively implementing marketing and sales in your business, which is, of course, what you need if you're going to be more successful in your business. So I'm here giving you everything I know about sales and marketing. We are bringing you the marketing news. We are reviewing the very best and the very worst of marketing content on the internet. And I am pulling in anyone I can find with experience that will be useful to you if you are looking to be more successful in your business you can support us in this initiative simply by watching the video simply by taking something from the video and implementing it in your business and talking about that success in the comments below you could also like and share and do all of that good stuff so today is talk marketing so we have a guest for you now today's guest has a bachelor of education and a bachelor in business. He graduated way back in 1992. From what I can tell, he has only had two jobs since then and he is still involved with both both of those jobs. He has been working for Ross Cray International for 26 years as change manager, strategic planner, sales coach and strategist, management consultant uh, and CEO advisor among other roles. He is also the founder of the models method which transforms business sales systems using bespoke visual models he is the creator of the genius model founder of the models method and the world's number one authority on visual models that sell he was introduced to us by ben jones he is the author of how to take massive action and what you may not know is Is that he started his working life in electronics today's guest is simon bowen good afternoon simon
1: how you going great to be here
0: it's great to have you here it's really great to have you here thank you so much for taking the time to be with us um it's interesting because it's connected that you started work in electronics how did you go well how did you go from education degree to business degree? The four years that I'm missing on your LinkedIn profile into only having these two jobs for your entire life. I'd had two jobs before I was 12.
1: <laughs> well, both of those jobs are companies that I own. And uh, that um, makes it easier. It does make it much, much easier. But I, uh, you, you know, when I, I started my life in electronics and, um, you know, basically I have a brain for science. I, I like science and... Um, I thought I would teach, you know, so after I'd worked in, in electronics and electrics for a while, I went and did my Bachelor of Education and they sent me to a school in Western Australia that is designed to test the vocational fortitude uh, to see if you can cut it with teenagers for the next 40 years. And I, I knew within a matter of months that that was just not going to work. So I had to go and do something else, you know, okay. and, uh, business and adults made a whole lot more sense. And so... Um, you know, but however, um, I also recognize that, um, and a lot of teachers don't see this one of the uh, teaching is one of the most portable skills around because there are, if we think about business, but really it's business in life, but let's just stick to business. Cause that's, we're talking about business and marketing and sales, the two most important systems in business are uh, the system for thinking and the system for influence. Uh, you know, when people think about the systems in business, I'll think about the sales system, the marketing system, the fulfillment system and so on. But I actually think of uh, the, the si- thinking and influence as systems. And so business is only as good as the idea on which it's built and the quality of thinking that's driving it. And then the ability to influence the choices people make. So customers to buy from you, staff to work hard for you, regulators to give you the, the license to operate, suppliers to serve you, banks to fund you, and so on. And so I went hunting for the, you know, what is the system for thinking and influence? And it, and it brought me back to this recognition that, that the teaching skills that I had acquired were a central part of that. So then I started unpacking what that looked like. And I I came to recognize that using visual models, using frameworks uh, to think through and then communicate through, were in fact that system for thinking and influence. And so uh, it became the way I facilitated, it became the way I ran my consultancy business. You know, The government would hire me and they'd say, we're gonna put 200 people in a room that are at war with each other over an issue, but they're unified in their hatred for us and you need to get them to agree. You know, you've got them for two hours. And I kind of recognized, and and the thing is I've walked into a room with teenagers trying to teach physics. There's nothing adults can do that can scare me. Um, (laughs) so, So, you know, give me those people in the room and we'll sort it out. And I just discovered that if you frustrate people for long enough, they actually ultimately want to get to an outcome the energy builds and they want to get to an outcome. So if I've got them for two hours and I just frustrate them for three quarters of the available time, 90 minutes, um, and then I just go to the whiteboard and say, hey, listen, I think I can draw this. And I start drawing a model on the whiteboard and facilitate the room and get them to build the model with me. We reach agreement and we do it every time. And I've got a reputation for being able to do this highly contentious and complex facilitation work. And uh, you know, it was really using these frameworks of thinking, these visual models as a system for thinking and influence. And um, it, it, it was also the way that I naturally, naturally sold as a consultant. I would grab my pen and draw models for the client and, and show them, you know, what the outcome could look like. And, and then people started saying, you should teach this. And, uh, and, and it kind of all blew up from there. And uh, people worldwide are using our models to sell now.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, that's really interesting. The thing is, I think that teaching does give you amazing skills. Like I did some volunteering in schools and it was torture because I, I'm a bit of a presenter. You know, I like to present. I got much better at presenting when I was doing that because when you've got an audience of 30 people who don't like you and don't care about you and you have to present for six hours, you get really good at presenting. Do you know what I mean? I, did, I might have done 20 or 30 days in my life People are doing 20 or twenty days a month for their... We know they don't work as much as they should, teachers. They're doing 20 mm. days a month for nine months a year. You know, that is an amazing skill. So that's where the best presenters are. I really like your idea, thinking and influence, and then sure. you have to influence people to buy from you, people to work from you, people to supply you. Because what I've said forever is that everything in business is effectively sales or marketing, it's effectively a pitch. You know, if you're convincing anyone of anything, but your idea that it's actually influence I think is is even sharper. Um, I'm feeling like I've met a kindred spirit today already, man. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah, it's, uh, you know, well, there's some shared experiences there. I, you know, one of the most robust um, training environments for people in sales, would actually be to go and teach a high school class. You know, you you wanna teach a group of 15 year olds Ohm's law, you know, that the current flowing in a circuit is directly proportional to the voltage applied and inversely proportional to the resistance in the circuit and have them understand why that's important. They couldn't care less. They couldn't be less interested and you need them to commit it to memory so they can pass the exam. How are you gonna get that done? and you're measured on how many of them pass the exam. How are you going to get that done? How are you going to influence them to commit it to memory? How are you going to get them to understand it? The, The quality of the thinking that you put into, how are you going to get them to buy into that? And then how are you going to influence both their absorption in the information and the decisions they make to study Determine success, and then on top of that, they're picking you apart at a very personal level. You know, gee, you're a bit thin on top. You don't have much hair. Uh, you know, you're, you, you, you're you're kind of old, aren't you? Don't like your beard, or whatever the case might be. Because students are brutal, right? Yeah. And uh, you know, a lot of salespeople talk at me. I mean, we live in the same sort of world in marketing and sales, and there's you know, there's such a big obsession with imposter syndrome and all of this sort of business. Well, you know, if you want to live in the world of marketing and sales, it is the best school in psychology on the planet. And it is a full contact sport. And yes. so, you know, you need to you 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 need to have a level of resilience about it and, and you need to have a level of confidence about it. But more importantly, you know, this whole conversation about imposter syndrome and things like that. The deeper you understand the human dynamic, the more powerful you become as a salesperson, as a marketer, and the more confident you become. When you can outthink, outsell, and outserve your marketplace, everything else falls in, you know, falls into place for you. And outthinking and outselling the marketplace really comes down to understanding more about the human condition and the human dynamic than everybody else. It's not about knowing more about your product. It's not about knowing more about how to frame what you do into an ROI argument for the customer and sales cycles and click funnels and lead magnets and all this sort of stuff. All of that's important. But the people that understand more about the human condition and the human dynamic and two fundamental truths tend to win. And those two fundamental truths are not truths that people really like to admit to that much, right? Or at least one of them isn't. The first truth that people don't really like to admit to that much is that actually everybody wants to win. Everybody wants a better car than the neighbor. Everybody wants a better house than the neighbor. Everybody wants to win. The second truth is everybody's scared. Everybody wants to be made safer. And so if you're in the world of marketing and sales, and you can frame your message, you can, you can, the way you show up uh, allows your prospect to know that if they go with you, they will win and they will be safe. You're halfway home. It doesn't matter what the product is that you sell. Um, if, the, if, 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 in, in you know, the, 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 the person that they meet and then the solution that you're proposing causes them to, Go, okay, hey, if I buy this thing, I'm going to be just a bit better than everybody else. I'm going to win. And I feel safe with you. I coined this term buyer safety. You know, one of the key things that everybody should do in any marketing and selling is make sure that every step of your marketing and sales process, the prospect feels safer with you than they would without you. And, and when the prospect feels safer with you than they would without you, the safest thing for them to do is to buy from you but so much of our selling is industrial age selling it's come from the old foot in the door door-to-door sales person high pressure scarcity and urgency and of course the customer feels less safe with us than they than they would without us they feel more under pressure they you know the the, the customer comes to the buying experience with an underlying suspicion they're going to get ripped off and so uh, you know, we've got to overcome that. And we have to overcome that by making them safe and actually making it okay for them to win. So <clears throat> the deeper you understand the human condition and those kind of dynamics, the more confident you can be, uh, you know, about how you market and how you sell and and really, the product is irrelevant. Just I'm just going to mute my microphone while I cough. Okay. So I don't want to upset the, <laughs> the recording with big coughing noises. So you know, it's a yeah, it's a, it's kind of a fascinating world. But uh, and and so what what sits behind that quality of the thinking, the quality of the idea behind the business? That's a um, you know, Michael Gerber who wrote the E Myth.
0: A hundred um, percent, one of my favorite books.
1: Fabulous, right? But a better book that he wrote is a book called "The Most Successful Small Business in the World," and uh, he's the ten principles of the most successful small business in the world. Now, the first principle is that a business should be built to grow ten thousand times its current size, and he's chosen that number deliberately. So, if you've got one little retail store, you should be running that retail store as if you were going to grow it to ten thousand stores. You know, and um, that changes your frame of reference to what you should be doing inside that business. But another one of the principles is in fact that a business is only as good as the idea on which it's built. And that's actually true. You know, it, 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 if your idea is half-baked and like everybody else's, you've got, you're got commoditized and you're gonna struggle. But you know, a lot of our clients, um, and we have people in about 25 different countries using our selling system, And a lot of our clients are redefining their market space. I think the more interesting conversation for business these days is not, how do we differentiate in our market? The more interesting conversation is how do we completely redefine our market? And that comes down to, you know, how good's the thinking in the business? And then how do you influence people to come with you?
0: Okay, good you're going to have to slow down because you've, you've already given me about 10 headlines already with what you're saying. <laughs> right, um, you're right. I want to go back a little bit because like the, the thing that you're saying that that definitely correlates is like the first thing, like you're saying, how do you get the students motivated to want to learn the stuff, to put in the hours, to be committed to, to, to actually pass the exam. And I think the answer to that is to get them to care and that translates 100% in a sales relationship. The first thing you yeah. have to be able to do is get them to care. Now, so- I don't think it's 100% necessarily, but it's really useful if then they come to like you. I remember, he must be retired now. I had this little boss once. Little, He was a little guy. His name was Leon. And I've lost count of the amount of times that he said to me, how do you get these clients to like you and why don't they like me and so much? And what I used to say to him is, is because I don't give a shit if they like me or not. Do you know what I mean? He's there having to say all the things he thinks he has to say to get them to like him. And I'm just there being kind of reliable and dependable and saying what I mean and doing what I mean. Do you know what I mean? And so, so that's really interesting. And then the other thing you're talking about is everyone wants to win and everyone's scared And there's an interesting dynamic in that because everyone wants to win and they're scared at the same time, which very often makes people quite defensive and then quite aggressive. And then they often think that the way they win is by beating you and not necessarily working with you to to win a bigger battle. And this is then Mm. exacerbated because... You know, salespeople are winners. I don't know. Glen Gary, Glen Ross always be closing all of this stuff. They don't come on the lot lest they wish to buy all this stuff. So this is brilliant. This idea of buyer safety, I've never heard Mm. before, and I absolutely love it. Um, And then to bring us right up to what you're saying, this thing of redefining markets is interesting. The quality of the idea is interesting because everyone knows that idea that, that businesses are built on really good ideas. Like everyone has to have an idea for a business, but very often the idea is really poor, <laughs> but yeah. then everyone's so impressed that you've gone and come up with an idea that everyone kind of tells you it's brilliant. Anyway, I'm going to make a video called why small Why bad small businesses think they're good or why good or why something like that when they're yeah. actually bad. Um, because that goes on. Um, What did I want to say? Let's bring some order to this because it helps us with the editing anyway. Um, You know there's these five questions. So the first question is, um, how are you qualified to talk to us about using visual models that sell? That's question number one. Question number two then is, who do you work with? How do you add value to their lives? Question number three is, how do people get better at using visual models to sell? Sure question number four really easy what should people read you've already given us a couple of recommendations question number five who can you throw under the bus who might endure to have a conversation like this with me how are you qualified simon bowen to talk to us about using visual models to sell
1: sure you know the only qualification really that matters is time spent in the trenches and um so the world
0: Can I just qualify that a little bit? Because I interviewed somebody and he said that isn't what matters. (laughs) What matters is the time you've spent in the trenches being successful doing this thing, because there are people who have entire careers in the trenches and never achieve anything. So I'm sure you have been successful. So I'm just going to elevate you if I can, if I may.
1: Yeah, yeah. So and and let me add some. I I agree with it. I agree with that comment. Um, And let me put some. Kind of further context or structure to that the world has taught people to believe that what you need to do is go and get an education and then get a job so go and study the theory of something and then hopefully go and apply it now i also lectured at university for a period of time and um you know we good university lecturers Um, absolutely understand that most of what they teach the students at university isn't going to help them in the real world. Um, What you're doing at university is teaching them to be thinkers, basically. So when they get in the real world, hopefully they unpack things and think them through. But the world has kind of created this picture of go and study and learn the theory and then do it. What you'll find the most successful people have done is they've gone and done it and then studied what's happened and fixed things and tweaked things and then done it again and then studied what's happened and fixed things and tweaked things and then studied, done it again and then realized there's a bigger picture and studied that and then applied it. So you seldom, you seldom see elite athletes at Olympic level. And I've worked with a number of Australian sporting teams and the military and things like that. You seldom see elite athletes who have studied the sport for years and then train and try and go to the Olympics. What you usually see is put someone who's trained for years and then studied the detail and the finesse to actually get better at it. And so I've spent the better part of 30 years um, in sales at all sorts of levels of industry um, and at, at all kind of product and price positioning levels. I've led uh, uh, quite substantial business units inside large Australian companies. Um, and we've, we've had our own management consultancy now for 25 years where I've been you know, tasked with the job of getting you know, people that are a war over an issue to agree to it. You know, the government would hire me and say, "We're going to put them all in a room. They hate each other, but they hate us together collectively. They're universally uh, joined in their hatred for us." And you got to get them to agree. Um, you know, I I uh, I'm not an engineer, but I keep getting hired by mining companies to sort out their, in, their their project management divisions. You know, I'm not a I'm not a pharmacist, but I get hired to uh, facilitate. Uh, the control of the cost of of the most expensive pharmaceuticals into hospitals across Western Australia um, um, I'm not uh, and have never been in the military but I get hired to work with uh, the military and the Department of Defense and contractors on how we're going to deploy bases you know for the Australian military into war zones um, <clears throat> I'm not a doctor but I get hired to facilitate all the clinical uh networks and clinical pathways for the health system um and and workforce planning for you know for a new multi-billion dollar hospital that's being built i'm not an architect but i get hired to facilitate all the stakeholder engagement for a 1.4 billion four billion dollar sports stadium that is five kilometers from where where i'm sitting right now that that then wins the best stadium in the world last year Um, so i have none of these expertise but what i am is a phenomenal facilitator and thinker and influencer. And so I can take any number of people in a room and get them to an outcome.
0: And I do it
1: because I draw, I draw visual models. At some point, I know I'm going to get a bit of geometry and draw a model and bring everybody into the model. And if I can draw, I can show you the secret behind it, if, if if it's okay for me to draw something for you right now, and I'll, I'll talk yes, through yes, it while yes. I draw it, so that um, people can picture it if they're just listening to this on the audio, right? But
0: yes, okay. Um, when when um,
1: two people are um, in a in a discussion about something, you have one person who's pretty happy with their idea. Uh, they're the proponent of the idea. And this is their truth. Then you've got the other person who's not sure. And the person with the idea wants to push their idea to the other person. As soon as you exert any kind of force on somebody, whether you push or pull, they will automatically exert the opposite force because people are basically scared. Um, And so their job is to push back so you've got two people pushing and so you get this kind of compete and retreat dialogue going on so you put 200 people in the room that hate each other over an idea this is all that's happening you get a whole lot of people from different kind of um, perspectives talking and this is what's happening now we know that in conflict if you really want to resolve conflict you would put a mediator into the mix And the mediator creates, uh, completes the the coaching triad. And the mediator might go to... Now, in every conversation, in every relationship, this is not going to make anybody feel good, unfortunately. (laughs) But in every relationship, whether it's a marriage or a business relationship or whatever, the person who is least emotionally invested is in control. Can I repeat that? In any relationship, the person that is least emotionally invested is in control. And so if you want to control a communication or a relationship, you need to have the other party more emotionally invested than you. And so in order to deal with that, we use this kind of mentoring or coaching triad where you have a person who is not emotionally invested at all. And that allows them to be in control of the conversation and they can perhaps help the two people that are in this compete and retreat dynamic. And so the mediator might go to, and and is also often a weaker partner and a stronger partner in in, in the situation. And the weaker partner is usually the person that knows less. And the stronger partner is usually the person with the idea or that knows more. And so the mediator can go to this person, We let's call this person the customer, and they can ask them what's going on for them. And just that act of asking starts to build buyer safety. And then, and then this person might share some thoughts with them. Now, this is absent of, of any kind of sales positioning or posture from the other person. And then the mediator can inform this person and in marketing terms we might call that intel and then this person go oh okay if that's what they're concerned about what they're thinking about let me share this insight that might help them and then the mediator who's skillful can go and share that insight through another question because because behind every question is a statement and then they share a bit more information, they inform them, they share more insights. And so what we end up with eventually, um, by elevating the conversation, we elevate value. And what we end up with is uh, this, uh, we we, uh, we gather intel and we get their truth. And so what we end up with at the top is this, shared truth. Now, the problem is you can't take a mediator with you into a conversation, uh, certainly not into a sales conversation. And so I I stumbled across, I didn't totally stumble, it was sort of planned, I stumbled across this, this idea that instead of taking a mediator into sales conversations and marketing conversations uh, with me, What if I made the model, the mediator, and instead of me trying to tell them my idea, I'm just sharing a model with them. And now instead of it being um, me versus you, it's the two of us looking at a model together. Now we're actually side by side, talking about this thing in the middle and building it together and the entire dynamic changes. And, And, you know, once that shift has occurred, we can influence any Kind of conversation, and so it you know it's um it, it 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 you know just and it exploded as a concept and I and I started selling like that. So while everyone else was carrying a lined notepad, I was carrying a sketch pad. And you know, in the large corporate environment, I helped Austal Ships, who are a fifty-one billion dollar company out of Australia, building ten percent of the US Navy fleet. I helped build their global sales process. It takes them about a year to sell a ship that's worth about 150 million dollars and so you know we we taught um you know we 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 taught them how to have conversations with clients that let the client feel like they're being facilitated rather than sold to so one of the superpowers is learn to facilitate rather than sell and uh that's a big which is really what i've just described in that little in that little diagram and it's how i used to sell so i'd walk around with a sketchpad with the forward scout that's sent out by the corporation to see who could help them. And I'd sit there and sketch, d- draw models, and they'd go, oh, that's amazing, that makes sense, or well, that would work. You know, I need to tell people back in the office about that and I'd tear out the page and i would go, why don't you take that and I'll take a photo. And off they'd go. Now that forward scout has turned into an internal salesperson for me walking back in with a hand-drawn artefact of our sales conversation, which wasn't contrived because it's not a PowerPoint deck or anything like that. And they're saying, we need to talk to this guy because he's got this really interesting model. I can't explain it properly, but he has agreed to come in and have a meeting and take us through it. Now I'm going to get in front of everybody that's involved in the decision, and I'm going to repeat that conversation. And then the other thing is they will have never seen anyone sell like this before. And the great innovation in business is how you sell. So there's a lot in this. There's a lot in this. I could go on about it all day. but (laughs) So what qualifies me? I've been doing it for 30 years and testing and trialing and modifying and studying and learning.
0: Yes. Okay, good. I've got some things to say. So let's start with that. I think like this distinction that um, I can't remember the guy's name. Um, but this distinction that the guy said, like there is a difference between having done something for 30 years and then having done it successfully for 30 years. There yeah, is a correct. world of difference in those two things. Yeah. And I think the difference is the having the ability to consciously evolve or even unconsciously mm-hmm. evolve, but to evolve. So you can do stuff and do stuff and do stuff. But if you're not looking, especially if in like the sort of work that we do, if you're not looking at how this works for the people that you're presenting it to, like it does feel like you're just hitting them over the head with it. If it feels like that for you and you're doing the hitting, imagining how it feels for them, you know. Um, yeah. So that's the one thing I wanted to say. The one thing I really want to say is, given you've spent the last 30 years drawing, I did expect you to be much better at drawing than you seem to be.
1: <laughs> that's great. So, you know, one of the things that people one of the things that people say to me, I wanna I wanna actually backtrack on the, the first comment you made, but one of the things that people often say to me is, oh, you know, uh, but I can't draw." And I go, "Can you draw a circle, a triangle, a square, and a line? Because that's all you actually need." Yeah. And it's quite it's quite interesting, Martin. Um, people don't care how messy no. you're drawing in, and and here's 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 the deeper psychology of this. We live in a digital world, but humans are analog. I want to repeat that we live in a digital world, but humans are analog, and so the analog TV used to get the, the the you know the the snowy picture, flaky picture, and then you find the perfect picture. The digital TV just has picture or blue screen, right? Yes. But humans are not ones and zeros. Humans are analog, and PowerPoint is a digital medium. Click, next thing, click, next thing. And the human brain is trying to, <gasps> I was still looking at the last thing and the next thing's come up and your mouth is moving. When you draw, like I just did, they're seeing it come, this the presentation is analog, drawing is analog. And when you draw, you draw people in. And 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 it just and and there's some deeply powerful psychology behind this the first thing a child usually commits to paper is a really bad drawing of mum and dad and the family and they get loved up like you wouldn't believe as a consequence of that it often gets framed and put on the fridge or whatever right and so there's this deep connection to drawing that we have because it's the first thing we did cursive writing and cursive text was not the first thing we did on paper often it's the thing we learn to hate because of how it's taught in schools right the oldest form of the oldest form of recorded human communication is cave art. Our aboriginal people 60,000 years old, right? And it's drawing, quite frankly. When you draw, you draw people in. And so I never use PowerPoint if I can avoid it. And in fact, we don't we teach people not to use PowerPoint in the sales process, but actually to draw. And you know what, when you draw badly, what it says to the client is you have all of this in your head none of this is pre-prepared on a slide. You know your stuff because you just produced that off a blank sheet of paper or a blank iPad screen. You know what you're doing. I feel safer with you because you know what you're talking about. And if I back it up and then back up, so um, you know, people go, oh, you know what? I'm such a bad drawer. I go, it, it doesn't matter. They don't care. If I presented a conference I'm walking around the room with my iPad drawing and it's going up on the screen behind me and everybody else uses PowerPoint. And I know I'm going to be the highest rated speaker at that conference because I'm the only one that's actually doing that.
0: And you're so humble and, as well, you know? Yeah,
1: <laughs> so, right. So, you know, people constantly go, we need your slides for the conference. I go, I don't have slides, but I'll give you the PDF afterwards, you know, but I'll, yeah. be, I'll be producing, I'll be producing the, um, you know the, the 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 visual stuff as I go. Now, what it also affords me is enormous flexibility. I'm not trapped inside a digital sequence, which is what PowerPoint is. So if the, so, if the room moves or reacts to something I've drawn, I can instantly go deeper on that. And so it's a real time testing and measuring. The other side of, you know, you've done it for thirty years. Did you do it? You know, have you done it once? over and over again for 30 years, or if you've got 30 years of experience, I think the real measure of what did you learn from being in the trenches is being able to teach it to other people and getting them to get the same results. That's the real measure. And and you know we've we've just taught hundreds and hundreds of companies to do this. And uh, you know, that the first the first time we teach a company a model, they usually, you know, make it's not uncommon for them to make the biggest sale they've ever made you know, people's confidence levels goes up. But the real measure of what qualifies you to do something is have you been able to teach other people to do it and get the same results without you there. That's what qualifies somebody. You know, is this thing repeatable? Can you install it into other people and have them get the result? That's why teaching is such a, an important and powerful uh, skill set. You know, interesting,
0: really, really interesting. Now, we are definitely peas from a pod. This is a little bit cringy because it's only me saying this to you. I mean, I'm hoping I'll convey this to you. (laughs) I Also, like when I teach, I draw on the flip chart. But when I used to pitch, when I was an agency and I had to pitch, I had like an A4 pad and it was lined, but I would always turn it um, horizontal, landscape, and then write and draw across the lines and then yes. I would take pictures of it and I'd tear the pages out and give them to them. They were completely useless to them. I have no idea what any of it referred to after I left. Um, and then also I've done talks where somebody has come up afterwards and offered me like actual money for for the pages that, that I'd been drawing on, you know. So this is hugely powerful. So I obviously didn't develop this into a career. I had no idea how important and powerful it was until you've spoken to me now. But what I also did is get to the principle or the conclusion that you've got to, which is, I've got a presentation called The Most Powerful Close in the World. Um, It's about how you close sales. um, Because everyone's terrible Mm. at closing. They're not terrible at closing. They're terrible at opening. They've got no interest in what these people want to buy. And then they're really upset when Mm. they don't buy it. Um, But part of this is about objections and negotiation. And what I do is I set up like a little tug of war. So somebody has to give me a buying signal somebody has to give me an objection response objection response so i've got four or five people on each end of this rope and then we have the tug of war and it all gets very exciting and people are old and they've got bad backs and stuff and it's you know it's like that um the point of this is if they continue to ask questions in exactly the way you're saying like if someone objects and if they if it's price for example they might say it's too expensive well you ask a room of people, they will come up with 20 different things that somebody might mean when they say it's too expensive. I don't of have course. the authority, I can't present that to my boss, don't have the budget, it's way more than I expect, etc. There's 20 things. Now, if you just immediately respond with your stock response, you've got a 1 in 20 chance of getting it right, which isn't great odds. If you say, what do you mean by that? Then they'll tell you which of those 20 it is. And you've got, like you say, you've got the intel. To say, okay, well, if not right now's not, if right now is the issue, what about this? What about this? Why is right now the issue? And I say, well, right now is the issue because blah 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 blah, and and then you've got this intel. So, in a different way, I've come to the same conclusion, which is they say selling isn't uh, telling, isn't selling, and then they just go out and tell people and hammer people over the head and hoping they'll buy it. Like, just find people with an interest who care already about what it is that you're offering. And try and work yeah. out with them how they could actually go about implementing this value in their lives and paying you some money you know it's so it's the same yeah. conclusion we may
1: well be peas in a pot it's you know i mean we there's a lot of shared thinking there as soon as someone says it's too expensive my stock response is compared to what yeah because they're because they've said two yeah t double o it's they're, it's comparative right and so it's too too expensive compared to what? Compared to your budget? Compared to your affordability? Because uh, if it's too expensive compared to your affordability, that doesn't make it expensive. That just means you can't afford it. Yes. Um, You know, compared to what? And then let's have a conversation about that. But people are kind of afraid to um, push back. People are afraid to ask provocative questions. But, you know, if you're... You, in, in marketing and sales, you must become a master of framing. It context gives everything meaning. And yet context is the, you know, if we think about a conversation as being three parts, three circles stacked on top of one another, context, concept, and then content. Context is the big why and, and, and comparison. And people can only judge value in comparison to something else. Value is only value as a comparative analysis. If there's nothing to compare to, there's no value, right? Yeah. So whether it's the comparison is what it looks like with it versus without it or whatever. Um, So context gives everything meaning and then concept is the thing that you're going to do for them and then the content is how you actually go about doing it. So, so many people are selling at the content level. Here's how we do it, it's this many days, we provide you with these tools, we deliver it like this. And and as soon as you're in that world, you're in the price-based conversation. Concept is about, here's how we have redefined this space. But context is why does it matter? And then the fourth thing that really matters is contrast. What is it that we're not? What is it that this is not? And people don't have a complete conversation. So, you know, price is simply the place that people go to when context, contrast, and concept haven't been explained properly. Uh, yes. Price is where people go to when you're already at content uh, level, and and the rest hasn't been um, uncovered. The other thing,
0: sorry, can I just stop you there as well, yeah. quickly, because the other thing about this is it's too expensive, and I only know this because I used to ask rooms always what they mean. Every time I ask a room, someone will say, "That's just what I say when I want to get rid of salespeople," because there yeah. is something about price. Well, because every, sal- every salesperson on the planet doesn't believe there's value in what they're selling. This is the truth. Correct. So if you want to get rid of them, you just say that's overpriced or it's too expensive and they just run away and they go back to their business and they're like, I told you it was too expensive. I told you it's not. <laughs> well, valuable." Well, there's, there's actually, there's, and, and there's, a,
1: there's an even deeper psychology or human dynamic underneath that too. Everybody in customer mode knows how to ask for a better price. And it's actually the customer's job to get the most that they can for the lowest price yes that's the customer's job it's actually the salesperson's job to defend value but most people sell based on the way they buy so they know that they would ask for a better price if they were buying a car and the customer they're talking to has gone have you got a better price and their job now is to defend value. Yes. And they don't know how to do that. And 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 it's even worse if they don't think that what they're selling really is that special or that valuable. And so a big part of what we're doing when we're teaching people to draw the model is we're actually saying, just sell the model. Let the customer yeah. arrive at the decision themselves, right? And it's almost like a takeaway sale. So here's we do a lot of work with SaaS companies, right? And SaaS companies Use the product demonstration as the primary way of selling. Well, that is way into the content. Here are the here are the features of the software. Let me show you how the how the user experience of the software. Now we're into the content. So how much is that per month for the platform? Right, we're already at that conversation. I teach SaaS companies to you know particularly in enterprise selling um, when they go, can we see a product demonstration? The customer says, can we see a product demonstration? A SaaS company should say, we're not there yet behind every great SaaS platform, you should be able to see a powerful design model. And I'd love you to walk you through ours and then we'll do the product demo, would that be okay? In that heartbeat, the customers just had a paradigm shift. What do you mean there should be a powerful design model? Yeah, for, for, great, for a great um, software platform, someone should have sat down and put together an actual model of what that platform is gonna do and, 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 and how it's gonna work and they should be able to show it to you without talking about one line of code and i can walk you through our model and then the demonstration the product demo will make a lot more sense would it be okay if i walk through the model now just sell the model because deep thinking has gone into that model now you're actually selling the depth of your thinking not the product because the product is never the product i'll give you an example We've got a client that runs motorcycle tours on the um, Cape York Peninsula in North Queensland. And it's a multiple day motorcycle tour, right? And so they camp out and all that, and you ride right up to the tip of the Cape York Peninsula, the northernmost part of Australia. And um, you would think it's about motorcycle tourism and uh, motorcycle uh, experiences and tourism. Um, But they had a client, a lady and her children who wanted to do the tour. And the reason they wanted to do the tour is because uh, her husband and their father had passed away. And they decided that as a family, they would tick off his bucket list. And this motorcycle tour to the top of the Cape York Peninsula was the last thing on his bucket list. And they got to the top of the Cape York Peninsula at the end of the tour and then they ticked off the box on the bucket list. Now this woman said, could I write a book about our experiences doing the motorcycle tour? We'll talk about customer testimonials, so she did. And so people go, what's the tour like? And they go, read a book that one of our clients wrote about us, you know, but it's not about the motorcycle tour. So they can sell to tourists or they can sell to experience seekers, memory makers. We have this idea that we want. um, uh, Can I, I'm going to draw again for you. And and it's going to be a a little bit confrontational and provocative. Um, But uh, You know, let me draw that again. Um, I have to say, I don't really agree with Simon Sinek and saying that in a conference, you can, the room murmurs. It's like heresy, you know, (laughs) um, it's like you've just committed one of the greatest kind of, um, you know, crimes against humankind. Um, but the reason I don't totally agree with Simon Sinek is because he, you know, Simon says, people don't care what you do, until they know why you do it. I don't care what a company's charity is, when I'm buying their product, right? I don't. And he says, find your why. I, I think a more accurate statement would be, people don't care what you do until they know that they are the reason why you do it. And that little distinction makes all the difference. And so every business why, every business why should be their customers' ultimate success and nothing else. And yet, you know, find your why has led us to, you know, the purpose driven business. I want to have impact in the world and blah, 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 blah. But your why should be your customer's ultimate success. And so if we look at the world of business, people were taught in the old eight days of marketing, turn, turn your thing into a product or a system. And you're down here in the red zone where you're basically a vendor of a product or a system. Now, the problem is that customers want to buy products on price. And also your product is easily compared to everybody else. And so that ran for a while in the history of marketing. And then people went, hang on a minute, it's commoditized. We're selling at a commoditized level. Oh, what we'll do is authority-based marketing. This is where it gets a bit provocative and maybe rocky for people. Authority-based marketing, put a lot of content out there um, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and become a thought leader. Now the problem is that thought leadership is entirely commoditized in today's world. And we know that because we see people putting a post in LinkedIn that has two people view it, calling themselves a thought leader. And if you've ever met someone calling themselves a thought leader and you've thought you are not a thought leader, people could be thinking that about you if you call yourself a thought leader. To be a thought leader, you need two things: you need an original thought and you need followers. If you've got an original thought and no followers, you're just a great thinker. And if you've got followers and no original thought, then you're a teacher, right? Um, But people go to the thought leader for information and usually they want it for free. And so, well, the world went, okay, this this authority-based marketing is really challenging. What's the next level? At the next level, you become a hero to your client. And that's actually not a bad place to be because people go to the hero for strength. And selling strength for your client, who's basically, uh, who wants to win and is scared in the same moment, is is a pretty good place to be. But it can create uh, victim customers. And so there's another level above. Every hero has their sage. Luke Skywalker has um, Obi-Wan Kenobi and then Yoda. And Yoda picks up the lightsaber and says, Luke, attack me. And Luke says, no, master, I'll kill you. And he says, no, come on, attack me. And event- and, he, and he just keeps you know, blocking Luke's attack. And eventually Luke gets angry and closes his eyes, uh, gets angry and goes at him. And Yoda closes his eyes and disarms him in a second. Um, because the sage has wisdom. And the hero knows the sage has wisdom. The sage has three key qualities. The sage has profound wisdom genius around what they do. These two levels of the hero and the thought leader must sell on ego. They must sell on the basis of I'm the thought leader. I know more about this than anybody else. I'm the hero. I'm going to save you. And the problem is no one wants to buy your ego. Everybody wants to buy their own identity, their own ego. So you must have profound genius. You must um, move away from selling on ego and sell based on wisdom. The second thing a sage has is this concept of powerful calm. When people it, when people kind of come into your orbit, they just feel safer. It's no longer selling from pressure, but rather selling from presence. People just feel like being around you is gonna be better for them. And then the last thing is this idea of practical simplicity. You cannot sell, a complex problem so moving from complexity to clarity you cannot sell a complex pro- uh, solve a complex problem with more complexity and so it's this idea of um, profound genius powerful calm and practical simplicity and a funny thing happens when you become the sage to your clients and you vacate this space who gets to occupy it And the answer is the client and the moment you shift all your marketing messaging and all your sales messaging to away from the concept of an ideal avatar, which quite frankly is something we do so we can search for them on LinkedIn. You move away from the concept of an ideal avatar and you move toward the concept of a hero client. And Hero Client has four things. They have character. They have a cause that they're pursuing. They have a commitment to it. And they have a caliber about their ability to actually do something. The moment you make the client the hero, everything about the sales process changes. And yet we're still selling to victims. We're still selling to ideal avatars. And we're still trying to sell from this ego place of thought leader or hero. And, you know, the bit that makes people uncomfortable is when I stand up in front of a room full of people and say, for goodness sake, folks, stop calling yourselves thought leaders. You know, Um, it's just kind of fascinating.
0: Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I mean, that really is good thinking. I mean, that's amazing, good thinking. I mean, and I liken myself to Toto. You remember Toto from The Wizard of Oz? So (laughs) everyone, they go on this epic journey to get to the Emerald City. They go in, there's fireworks, there's smoke, there's noise, there's colours, there's all this stuff. And Toto's the one that goes and pulls Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: You're back now, I think, yeah.
0: Okay, so Toto is the one that goes and pulls down the curtain. And you can see it's just the old geezer turning the the thing. Do you know what I mean?
1: Because... Um, So Toto...
0: Right. So Toto is my brand hero. Because they go on this epic journey to find the Wizard of Oz. They get to the Emerald City. There's fireworks. There's smoke. There's lights. There's colours. There's sound. It's all kicking off. And Toto is the one... That goes to the corner and pulls down the curtain and you see it's just the uh, the old geezer like turning the wheel. Do you know what I mean? Making it all happening. Because this it seems a little bit like Plato's cave, a little bit like Marx's alienation, a little bit like everything. The absolute opposite is the truth. And this seems to be more the case in sales and marketing than anything else. Everyone knows that the only person who knows why they're going to buy something is the prospective customer. The only person who knows why they buy something is the customer. The only person knows why they continue to buy something is the ongoing customer. Just go and ask them, why is this valuable? How is this valuable? So when
1: just get into a real conversation, Toto is actually the most important character in the movie. The Wizard of Oz.
0: Oh, yeah, 100 percent. The Wizard of Oz is a
1: fascinating piece of work. I mean, if it is true that it's about the gold standard, and and what was happening in the U.S. economy at the time,
0: I didn't even know that. I've never heard that.
1: Which is which is actually, you know, what it's supposedly about. And uh, you know, the Wizard of Oz, you know, follow the yellow brick road, right? The Wizard of Oz is the gold standard. That the bullion is no longer there in Fort Knox. And, uh, you know, the characters all, uh, all have relativity to what was happening economically at the time and moving away from the silver standard to the gold standard. The Wizard of Oz is an economic story. Wow. Study it. Go and have a look. You'll be I will fascinated. study
0: it. Okay. I will go and study it because I'm really interested in those kinds of stories. <laughs> but to, to come back to what you were saying is that um, I don't remember quite exactly how you phrased it. But you said you don't know why people don't want to ask questions like salespeople don't want to ask questions. Now, I know why, because I remember why, because fortunately I was taught this at the very beginning of my sales career. They taught us to ask questions and we all resisted. And I remember exactly why is because all the time I'm talking, I know what's going on and I'm in control. And as soon as I stop talking, I've got no idea where this conversation is going to go or what question they're going to come up with. So it took me, I think I got there pretty quickly, but it took me some time to realize that actually, if I've got the longer list of questions, <laughs> I'm always yeah. in control. And I do this when I present, you know, I've got a head full of questions. If I run out of things to say, I start asking the audience and then the audience get involved and then I know, you know, all of that stuff. Um, the value is always in the eye of the beholder to go to your motorcycle story. Mm. I would never have guessed that they were doing that journey for that reason, Uh looking for that outcome. I could never have guessed. And if I'm not asking them, then I would never have known, you know, or no one would have ever known. And this comes to a bigger idea for me. I had a brilliant conversation a couple of weeks ago with a guy called Mark Carter. I don't know if you've encountered him. He's there Uh with you. He's written a brilliant book called Add Value, and he's come up with five value models, like like typically whatever value somebody's getting will, will be, fall into one or a number of these categories because he's, asked, he's been asking sales managers and salespeople for years, what is value? And they don't even know what it is, let alone what yeah. the value is that somebody might be taking from it.
1: Well, you know, value, value is interesting. I use an iceberg to talk about value. Okay. And there's three levels of value. Um, the tip of the iceberg, the, the bit that sits above the waterline is transactional value. Yep. And everybody knows how to ask for that, right? Yes. Um, this is the known problem. Everybody knows how to ask for that. And um, yep. I've got a cousin who's a non-surgical dermal therapist. And uh, so someone will go here and say, can you treat my acne? And she goes, of course I can it's a shallow conversation, it's a shallow request. Um, and it's like the tip of the iceberg. Uh, it's $365 a treatment and you'll need five treatments. They say, oh, I've seen people online advertising this for $90 a treatment. And she said, I know that's true because asking for treatment for your acne is shallow, but we could go deeper. What would you like to do, stay shallow or go deeper? And most people won't say, I'm a pretty superficial human being, so let's stay shallow. So they go, oh, what do you mean? Well, below the waterline, you know, the real power of the iceberg is the 600,000 tons of ice at the base, not the 10% that you see above the waterline. And immediately below the waterline, you know, I am one of the best non-surgical dermal therapists in Australia. I've been voted the best non-surgical dermal therapist 10 years in a row by my peers. I have a 100% cleanup rate. This is going to happen fast. And I'm going to give you perfect skin. How's that sound? And they go, wow, Um, because this is the hidden problem. The tip of the iceberg is the known problem. This is the hidden problem. The hidden problem is stuff they're hiding from themselves and stuff they're hiding from you. The stuff they're hiding is I've tried a lot of stuff, but also I know I'm not eating healthy. I know gut health is impacting my acne. I know that my lifestyle is impacting my acne. I don't really want to change any of that stuff. I still want to eat crap. I, I, I don't particularly want to exercise, but can you fix my acne? You know, and the answer is no, if we don't address everything, right? So this is the hidden problem. But they go, wow, yeah, perfect skin, fast, 100% clean, wow, that's amazing. And then she goes, but wow is cosmetic. Wow is a drug. When you give someone a hit, they become addicted and they need a bigger hit. What I want to know is what would it mean for you if I fixed your acne and this is at the base of the iceberg and they usually burst into tears and they say, I'd go on the trip. I've always wanted to go on. I'd meet a partner. I wouldn't wear a hoodie in summer to hide my face. She goes, that's right. I believe a wonderful person like you truly deserves skin. You love living. in." Isn't, Isn't that all you really want is skin. You love living in and they go, Oh, now that sound, oh, is one of two sounds humans can make and it's universal and it means the same thing in every language. The first sound is uh, which is the universal sound of I don't get it. And The second ah, oh, is that sound of deep, profound release. And when that happens, the unknown problem has been addressed. The customer will never think, her customers never think to come to her and say, can you give me skin I'm gonna love living in? They don't ask for that. But now that that hidden problem, that tight, so the top is transactional, the middle is transformational, but the base is timeless value. I want skin that I will love living in for the rest of my life. Can you help me with that? Yes. What's happened with that three minute conversation is she's just neutralized everybody else in the market to transactional and shallow, she's taken them through wow, which is sexy and sexy sells, and she's taken them to profound, which is this timeless change, and profound will outsell sexy every day of the week. It's just that most people never take their value conversation too profound because they don't do the thinking work required to get there. They, they, you know, they've read the the product brochure, you know, they've got the spec sheet, etc, uh, etc. Et but they haven't the fundamental question is, what would it mean to you if this happened? Not, not, you know, how much do you what would it mean to you? What would change? What would the timeless change be? If this happened? What would it mean to you? If, you know, if if you had perfect skin, and you got it fast? I'd find a partner. I'd, I mean, and they're talking about timeless things. My life would change. Great, you deserve skin you love living, in isn't that what you really want? They go, oh yeah. They now now sales is comparative, and now they're listening to everybody else through that lens, and no one else is going to be saying it. You know, now that price point of three hundred and sixty-five dollars of treatment just evaporated once we got to the base of the iceberg. It disappears, um, and they usually pull out the credit card and pay straight away. So, you know, the levels of value is an interesting conversation. M- most. Sales that I meet at best have only thought value through to the transformational level from transactional to transformational. But 100%, I'm going to say 100% of the clients that we work with have not gone to the timeless level. And that's actually what we help them define. They, they haven't gone to the timeless level uh, where they pin down this powerful skin you love equivalent. You know, and once that's cats out of the bag that you can't, the client can't stop thinking about it. You know, people are trying to sell to wow, people are trying to sell to wow and we should be selling to, you know, wow service, wow this, wow that, wow is a drug. It's cosmetic, it's a narcotic. Sell to this deep where they just, I'm safer with you. And I know I'm going to win, you know, this space of certainty.
0: Yes, 100. Don't know how
1: we're on that topic, but it's a big topic. Value.
0: <laughs> it's a big topic. It's definitely a big topic, and I think most salespeople don't even get to the transactional value. No. I think most salespeople just think, "Thank God somebody bought this thing," <laughs> and they've never even they even stopped to think about how, how why have they bought this thing? Like, what is the value that they're going to take about it away from it? Because there's a, a weird um, dichotomy. Is it? It's not a dichotomy. It's like an opposition. Like If you're selling it, you're not the target market. You'll never know what the value is, you know, unless you really take the time to understand from prospects and customers what that value is and relay that, that value to other people.
1: Well, 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 the thing is never usually the thing. Yes. The motorcycle tour isn't the motorcycle tour. You know, it's about the memory. I, um, so an interesting thing that people don't really know about is I'm fascinated with patterns and um, I'm a pattern watch, I'm fascinated with patterns. And patterns are not about the components, patterns are about the connections. The thing that makes something a pattern is the connection between the components, not the components themselves. And so to spot a pattern, you've got to look for connections. Now, if there are components, there will be a pattern. And most people don't find patterns, right? But when you find patterns, you get ahead of the game. And i was a bit obsessed about this and i thought what's the most random thing i could think of i thought luck i'll see if luck has patterns turns out it does there's a professor in the uk that published a paper called the luck factor and i and i started studying luck and luck is actually predictable and repeatable um and so to prove it uh my wife and i and our daughters started entering competitions you know sweepstakes in america competitions in the uk and australia win a car win a trip and all this sort of stuff and To date, we've won about a million and a half dollars worth of prizes. We average about $50,000 a year. It's completely predictable. We've won two family trips to Disney World in Florida, two family trips to London. We've won a car. We've won everything in our house as a prize, the two microwaves in the kitchen and the televisions and stuff. And when our daughters were young, they'd win a push bike and then they'd say, oh, my bike's too small. We'd say best win another one. And so they would. And if we teach people what to do, they usually win a trip within about three months because luck is actually more predictable than people think. And I'll just give you one example. People enter a competition that says, Hey, in 25 words or less, why do you want a new Hyundai XL? And people will say, Oh, cause I've got a clapped out old bomb. I'm a poor uni student. I'm a single mom. What? blah, blah, blah. We found out that this was an early form of crowdsourcing where companies were getting consumers to write taglines. Beans means highs was a winning competition entry, right? So we just became masterful at crafting 25 word or less statements that companies could use in advertising jingles and marketing so bumper to bumper end to end hyundai accent a girl's best friend will win you that car and we tested and measured so we'd send an entry in if we didn't win we'd contact them and say could we get it back again and they'd say well we'll have to charge you postage we go no problem uh and they'd they'd say what's your entry and we because you've got to get it open first You've got to get it open and then, and then the entry's got to, got to you know convince them to give you the prize and so first of all the packaging is is, is um noticeable enough to get it opened. and they go well tell us about your entry we tell them they go, oh you were so close it was second and i go interesting what was the winning entry and they'd tell me now that's all that's the only reason i need to get this entry sent back uh um at that point i would have said to, you know i would have been happy to say to them, don't worry about sending it back but you know they go, so we'll send it back and we'll charge I go, no problem. That competition is going to run again next year. And I now know what I need to do to blow it out of the water. And I don't go 1% over. We go 10% over. And we win the car. We've won five international trips with the same 25 words or less because we have tested and measured. Bumper to bumper, end-to-end, Hyundai Accent, your best friend doesn't win. But bumper to bumper, end-to-end, Hyundai Accent, a girl's best friend does win. So does bumper to bumper, end-to-end, Toyota Echo, a girl's best friend. And bumper to bumper, end-to-end, Um, Ford, Ford car, a girl's best friend. It's just marketing A 25 word or less is a headline without copy. That's all it is. And so luck has patterns and patterns are formed by the connections. And the moment you become a pattern reader, everything changes. And so, you know, you, what most people do in selling is they make it up as they, the worst thing that selling was ever told was the gift of the gab. You could just get in front of a client and make it up and expect it to work. All we're doing with models is giving people patterns that we know work frameworks that you don't have to have any words in at all. And it allows you to freestyle inside of a framework. I've done an exercise where I've stood on stage at a conference, told someone I'm going to sell their product from stage to someone in the audience at twice the price they charge using models and I don't know anything about their product. And I tell the whole audience this. So everyone knows the rules of the game, but the rule is it's a real sale. So if you're the person still standing at the end and we've agreed the price, you're going to buy that product from that other person, right? And everyone goes, "Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, that's yeah, great." And I, and and I ask people to call out what they want to sell and 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 then I pick somebody and I find out their price. You know, my favorite one was a guy that sold training in the hospitality industry. And I said, what's your price? He said, two and a half thousand dollars a day for training. I went, great. And um, I just started, and geometry is really powerful. So I used a model for what the perfect hospitality training would look like and facilitated the model out of the audience. So I said to the audience, hey folks, I think there's three dimensions to this um but i'd be interested in what you think the three dimensions are now i've guided this is like if you want to be in control the geometry puts you in control now i've limited them to three dimensions not 10. what would you think the most important three dimensions are call it out run the microphones they call stuff out and i get eight And i go we need to vote on this because there's only three and we get it down to three right now inside those three dimensions i think there's probably a couple of two to three things that are really critical inside those three dimensions what would they be? And they call it out and I put them on my triangle. And you know what's really important about this is what happens when in the intersection between the two, between each of the pairs of sides of the triangle, that's where the value is created. If you put this together with that, what happens when you, when that happens in training and people call it out and I draw it on the model. And um, so the model was built and, and I'm going, you know, who's in hospitality, stand up if you're in hospitality. Now the audience was half, half hospitality because of where the conference was. And I started. I said, "How many people would love this kind of training?" Now, at this point, they've forgotten the whole setup that I gave them at the start, and that this guy said it's two and a half thousand dollars a day, right? Who'd want this kind of training for your staff? And uh, you know, everyone went, "Yeah, yeah." All the people stand. I said, "I've got to eliminate the cheap stakes, uh, the cheapskates." Sorry, and I drew a bell curve, which is one of the fastest ways of getting rid of lowest price, and 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 I drew the bell curve. Which basically, I'll actually, because this could be useful to people, just um, let me draw, uh, show you on the screen again. Just uh, put my drawing on the screen if you would. Uh, So now we've set up the model. I'm going, so listen, um, if you think about it, there's training in the hospitality industry that's down here in the red zone. And it's, oh my goodness, kind of training, which means it's dreadful. And, you know, people charge a lot of price for that usually. There's training here in the amber zone of the bell curve. I mean, the, the key to the bell curve, of course, is there's a lot of average, and so there's training that is okay, and people charge, a, you know, a, a commoditized price for that. Then there's training up here in the light green zone that is wow. It's going to have a lot of happy sheets from staff, and people charge, you know, quite a quite a price for that who would want that kind of training and everybody put their hand up and I go, okay, but there's another level above. Wow. Isn't there? Everyone's going, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what is it? It's the level of, oh, like wow is a narcotic. It's a drug. Oh, is this deep, deep embedded change in your people. They come back from the training as different human beings. Notice the change in voice and tonality. This is the level of realization. They don't come back happy. They come back changed. What's that training worth to you? And people are going out priceless. And that triangle that we've just built, would you agree, is delivering that kind of training? And they all went, yeah. But I can't remember the guy's name. Call him Fred. Fred is promising this kind of training, not at the price of O, but at the, but at the price at the upper end of Wow, which is five thousand dollars a day. Who's who's up for it? Who wants to buy it? And three people put their hands. And I said, remember, folks, the rule was this is a real deal. This is a real sale. So you need to go to Fred now and buy his training at $5,000 a day, right? And Fred went, um, oh, but I only charged $2,500 a day. I could have slapped him. You know, we just actually <laughs> sold three people in the room without me knowing anything about what he does. And, I, and so in front of the room, I'm saying, Fred, seriously, mate, does your training deliver what that triangle is promising? And he said, absolutely. I said, well, there are three people that are going to pay you $5,000 a day for the training with their teams. In the break, you need to go and do that deal. Now, whether he did or not, I don't know, but that's up to Fred's um, own personal kind of stuff that might be going on. But you know, we, we, we don't need to do all the talking, but we do need frameworks. We do need structure that allows us to freestyle inside of that. And, and do some magic. I mean, it's it's one of my f- favourite things to do is just sell other people's stuff from stage. Uh, yes. I don't need words. I can get the audience to give me the words. When you shift to facilitation rather than selling, you become the sage and so much changes. As long as you sell, you've got to be the hero. When you shift to facilitation, you become the sage.
0: A hundred percent. And this is, I think, what I've been trying to tell people my whole life. I've not done it as eloquently as you or with the glorious, you know, um, art that you, you have. Um, what's the thing? Yeah, it's genius, man. I love everything that you're doing because it's true because it's exactly the opposite of what everyone thinks, which is where the mm. truth is. You know, it's like mm. if everyone's doing like everyone hates sales. Sales is the best job in the world for me. Like you go out and mm. make friends with people, help them, do you know what I mean? Motivate them to do stuff that they need to do. You know, I think it's a great job. Everyone thinks it's about hammering over people over the head and getting them to buy stuff that they don't really want to buy, which is counterproductive, you know, it actually makes you look bad. I've got some good news well, well, I, for you. Do you want some good news?
1: I will have the good news, but I, I think there's a really important point that you've just made, that I think we need to make sure that we keep reinforcing as professionals in the marketing and sales space. Yes, yeah, I, I I think business is the most powerful force for good on the planet if it's in the hands of the right people. Yes, it can do things, it can do things that government and charities can't. And if business is the most powerful force for good on the planet, then selling must become the most noble thing that any of us do. And I talk to you know, you know when I'm talking to health professionals and doctors hate the idea that they would ever have to sell. You know, it's like it's below us mate the the sale is the first step in the treatment process you don't get to treat the patient until you've made the sale so if you're a neurosurgeon and you need to operate on a tumor the treatment process only starts once you've made the sale how dare you consider sales to be below you you're, you're professionally corrupt if you're not willing to sell that surgery because if you're not willing to sell the surgery you either don't believe the surgery is the best option for them to take or you don't believe you're the best person to do the surgery uh, you know or well, you're not actually committed to the well-being of the patient
0: yes b c is the is the is the crime do you know what i mean yeah. b and a are probably the reality nobody is actually confident very not so much in the in the heart surgeons but in the business world no yeah. one's really confident that that what they're doing is the best thing for people and they're expecting to get found out. But close that loop, just go and ask your customers who continue buying from you what the value is and you will know exactly what the value is and yeah. and then you'll be confident, you know.
1: And, and and make selling the most noble thing you do.
0: Right? Yes.
1: And so how do you do that? You make sure that every sale is actually uh, an act of service. Yes. You know? right. and, and elevate to this position of facilitation where you become the sage that has profound genius is powerfully calm and, and and communicates with such practical simplicity that people are just blown away by 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 what you say you know it's um i was having a conversation with some people yesterday and they was saying how is it that you have created this profile globally and that you are able to stop rooms and my response is because i go there with the intention of stopping the room You know, like it's intentional. I'm looking for something to say and put in front of people that is going to rattle every cage in the room. I'm not going to commoditize a conversation. And, you know, it might feel like you're flying without a safety net, but the safety net for me are the models. I mean, when someone came up to me after that presentation on stage where I sold the other guy's product, a really Experienced marketer and salesperson who was running the conference he said, "I can't believe how you get on stage and fly without a safety net over and over and over again." I'm going, Mal. The models are my net. Yes, I, I'm carrying them with me in my iPad, mate. You know, it's just that no one sees them like that. So salespeople need to have the right safety net, and what they use as their safety net as they talk and talk and talk, their product brochures and stuff like that. You know, have a safety net that allows you to freestyle.
0: Here's their, here's their safety net is evasion is because is, this is my other big thing is is actually not putting yourself in the game not putting yourself in the situation where if you where you find out is this going to be of value to them or otherwise. You know, so wow. so that is the safety net. It's like yes. I didn't risk anything. Do you know what I mean? I didn't upset yes. anyone, didn't offend anyone, didn't excite anyone, didn't. But I didn't lose anything because I didn't risk anything. So, wow. Yeah.
1: How about that? <laughs> That's an uncomfortable truth. <laughs>
0: yeah, I think it really is. But I, I'm, I'm loving these conversations that I have. I, I was speaking to a guy. They call him the 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 phone assassin or something. They call him, which is really oh. bad, and he accepts it's yeah. bad. But he calls himself a a conversation architect. And in the conversation I was having, because I started on the phone, selling on the phone, so I also think, like now I know it exists, I also think of myself as a conversation architect. But I was thinking about his marketing. His his tagline should be, if your salespeople are doing all right now, imagine how good they're going to be when they find out how easy it is. You know, it's like... Because everyone thinks sales is the, the hardest thing in the world, but you just phone people up and make friends with them. Do you know what I mean? See if you can help them. You know, there's there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Are you ready for the good news yet?
1: Yes, yeah, the good news.
0: Yeah. Good news is it's only taken us an hour and a half, but I am happy to report that I think you are adequately qualified to talk to us about using visual models um, to sell stuff. Um, right. We have gone for an hour and a half. I mean, we've gone half an hour over the time you committed to me are we still cool we can wrap this up in 10 minutes i think and if we could have sure. conversations in the in the future that would that would i would love that
1: yeah sure absolutely let me i'm sure we can uh push on for 10 minutes okay
0: well we need to get it done in sort of 10 15 minutes because i've got other things sure. coming up as well um there's still four questions remaining this is the beauty of the four questions um <laughs> the second question is who do you work with how do you add value to their lives I think you've amply demonstrated that and you've listed all the types of businesses that you've helped. So I think you've answered that question already. Question three is, um, what is your recommendation for anyone who is looking to apply this kind of thinking to their situations? And you need to tell me the answer to this in like less than two minutes because this will go on TikTok. We'll clip this up for so, TikTok. So
1: um, the reality is like, created this whole process and so there aren't any books around what we do um that people can go and resource there are books about models that you can get you know management models and that sort of thing uh, There's, a, i think there's a book called 61 management models everybody should know um, there's just not a whole lot of resource around this um, topic uh worldwide um uh, people, I mean, people can go to our website. I have, I do have a whole bunch of video content on there and people can see a bunch of models in action and find out more about it. And uh, we teach a lot of stuff around this. But, um, you know, if, if people start studying management models, um, that's that's really where the thinking started for me. I think some of the stuff that, brings into play some of the thinking behind it rather than the models themselves. I think one of the best books I've ever written is by Napoleon Hill, and it is not think and grow rich. It's a book called outwitting the devil, and it is a truly profound book uh, about success and performance. And if you read it and you really get it, it, you really understand what he's saying. Um, you know, it'll change the way you think about things. And the story of it, he wrote it after he published Think and Grow Rich. He didn't really feel like he'd hit the mark with Think and Grow Rich. And so he went away and wrote this book and came back in, I think, 1928. And he, the, the literary device that he was using was he was having a conversation with the de- devil. And he said to the devil, tell me how you cause most men to fail at life. And the devil said, I will tell you as so long as you call me your majesty. And so he has this conversation with the devil. And he asks him a whole bunch of questions and, and the devil gives him his answers. And then he he documents that he came back and his wife said, are you crazy? They will put you in an asylum and run us out of town. If you publish a book that you're talking to the devil. So he made a promise to her that it wouldn't be published until she had died. And so it was not published until 2010. Um, and it's a fascinating book. Um, I would recommend people consume any of the challenger sale content that they can. Um, and uh, I don't know if you've read the challenger sale material. Um, but I'm
0: familiar with it, challenger sales, but I yeah, haven't read.
1: So, so they, they released that about 10 years ago, and, and that really shaped because my style of selling is actually challenge-based selling. That's what the models are. We're challenging people to think at a deeper level as a customer, right? That a deeper level than price, and then the challenger sale follow-up research, which has only just been released. You know, the next level of saying beyond the challenger sale is sense making. So you've got to challenge the customer, and then you have to be a sense maker, which is the sage, basically. So I think if people consume the challenger sale and and the follow-up material around that, that's you know fundamentally um, useful for them. And uh, I, um, I think one of the um, well, I mentioned that book about uh, from um, Michael Gerber about the most successful small business in the world. Um, But there's a, uh, there's a book called, um, I think, I'm not sure if it's called the art of the noble sale or something like that. that is an equally good piece of work. What I would encourage people to do is also go back to um, the world, I know this is more than two minutes, but the world has fascinated itself with inbound selling. Lead funnels, lead magnets, um, digital sales systems and automations to get the customer to, to opt in, right? The world of outbound selling like if you sell to an enterprise clients and, and you want about 30 clients a year, all you should have is a list of the 200 companies you want to work with and be in an outbound sales process with them, marketing directly to them and picking up the phone and calling people and building the connection and hanging out and doing as you said, becoming you know, friends with them. And I would encourage everybody to um, investigate the world of outbound selling and two of the best thinkers around outbound selling, are Anthony Inarino, he's, it's the salesblog.com and Jeb Blount, B-L-O-U-N-T sales gravy. Um, great stuff, great stuff, you know? So there's plenty there that people could play with.
0: A hundred percent. Brilliant. Well, now you've answered question number four, which was what should people read? Um, So now I need to check in with you and I I need to hear from you how you're feeling about having been part of the talk marketing show experience. How are you feeling about it? You look quite happy.
1: Well, of course, you and I had a really interesting conversation beforehand talking about things that we shouldn't mention
0: (laughs) in the podcast. (laughs) Now the the world knows we're busted.
1: Yeah. (laughs) But um, look, I love these conversations because I think that we need... You know, we need to start a different kind of movement in sales. And I, I like it when I end up in conversations with the people that are that are, that are are there as well, and you clearly are. You know, we we just need to challenge people. We need to... The industrial age of selling is gone. Yes. We're in a different space. And so I, I think these kinds of conversations, A, it's been great fun, but it's also really important that we challenge people to think about the science and the art of selling and... Its role, you know, it is the thing that drives economies. Sales is the only thing that drives economies. Yes, you know, and 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 you know, we need to we need to encourage people to become salespeople. We need to encourage people to make it an art form, make it a craft. You know, and uh, I'm, I'm a real you know, and I'm very committed to the idea of buyer safety and high integrity noble selling. So. I've had
0: a great time. Excellent, cool. And I'm with you, I think, apart from being the most noble art, or the most noble practice, or the most noble profession, whichever of those three words it was that you used, it's the most necessary. If you're not bringing bit money yeah. into your business, you don't have a business, you know, it's as simple as that. Yeah. And people barely have businesses because they're not invested enough in marketing and then the selling, you know, yeah. that's how I feel yeah. about it. Okay, good. Well, I'm glad that you've enjoyed this experience because now you should find it easier to throw a couple of people under the bus um, who might also enjoy to have conversations like this with me. Um, and it needs to be people you can introduce me to. And the nice thing about this is that the universe is leading this this um, this little endeavour rather than me. So, you know, I've got no idea who you might think might be interested in having a conversation yeah,
1: like this. Yeah, so... Um, uh, The the person that I lean on the most um, in terms of uh, how we use LinkedIn as a platform is a different thinker about LinkedIn. You know, he's not that thinker that says, um, you know, put X posts up and that sort of thing. He's the kind of person that picks apart the algorithm. And um serves LinkedIn's business model in order to win at LinkedIn rather than uh what everybody else does, which is trying to serve themselves. Um and uh Adam is someone I think would be very happy to jump onto a uh onto a podcast with you and, and talk about LinkedIn and, and his approach to LinkedIn. Fantastic.
0: Um what is Adam's surname?
1: Houlihan, H O U H L A N.
0: And I can certainly give you I L A N Hulahan.
1: H L. H O U H L A N. Hulahan. No. H O U H A L A N. I
0: missed an A. H O U H A. Okay. Hulahan. Got it. (laughs)
1: um And I, you know what? You know who you've had on your podcast. And I know a whole bunch of people. Is there kind of a topic area that you would love to unpack that you haven't really unpacked yet?
0: You know what? I'm astounded you are going to be about the 80th episode. So it's incredible how many people I've spoken to and all the different subjects that I've spoken about. I'm really happy to be led by the universe. You know, it's whoever you think has something really interesting to say that I mean you have blown my tiny mind so I'm sure if you, there's someone that you think is and you can introduce me to who could add value then that's more important to me than, you know I'm just I'm out of the road you know this is going where the universe is taking it
1: yeah so let me think I'm just running through my Rolodex in my head at the moment that uh the kind of people that might um bring some perspectives to things that are wildly different. Um, There's a, there's a, um, he's a particularly good thinker and it leans into sales, but he, Josh McKitterick is his name. Um, And Josh is a, content expert in terms of the on the the teaching content on the page side of this of of the offer so you sold to the client and now you're going to deliver you know a program or teaching to them he is the sharpest mind in um that kind of course design that i've met and worked with because all of his course design is really a sale (laughs) You know, it's actually a sale. So, um, you know, and he'll say things like, you know, coaches record their webinars and then put that into their um, portal as content. How dare you? Don't be so bloody lazy. Record an actual video that's five minutes long and gives them exactly the steps to do and don't make them watch an hour long webinar and pluck it out for themselves. I I think that's brilliant, you know, Um, but it's the. Sort of how he thinks about he's really good at the you know, here's how you influence people to do stuff, you know. Um, and and so it's it, it, it's great stuff in terms of sales, but also even for those people that might be putting content together, small trainings, um, even presentations. I mean, he's a, he's a whiz at presentation of material and things like that. Um so, and just plucking information out of people, he'd be, he'd be good. He'd be really, and he'd be an interesting conversation for you. He's not afraid to have a chat. Um, he'd be an interesting conversation.
0: Yeah. Excellent. Cool, man. And um, yeah, so if you could put together like an email introduction, or I don't know if Ben actually got to, got to the point where he put together the LinkedIn invitation. Um, but if you could do that for me, that would be phenomenal. Thank you yep. so much.
1: I'll, I'll, I'll I'll you You have um,
0: probably blown my mind today, Simon. You really have. I mean, this is the best conversation. What's actually blowing my mind is the way this process is working, like how good for me these conversations are, how motivating they are, how exciting they are. You know, it's gone from when I was on episode 12, one of my mates just said, Yeah, it's just you talking to your mates. Do you know what I mean? But where it's gone now, like it, I'm talking to people like you in Australia, I'm talking to people in the States, I'm talking, you know, talking to people all over the world. Um, but this has been a phenomenal conversation, man. This has taken it to another level, I think. So, so what we'll do now is we'll say goodbye um, for the benefit of anyone who's still watching or listening. Or um, listening, and then I'll st- I'll stop the recording and we'll say goodbye like normal human beings and talk about things we're not supposed to talk about again, probably. <laughs> <Perfect. laughs> so, man, uh, thank you, thank you so much for being involved today. This has been a great conversation. I'm sure people will take value from this.
1: Absolutely, my pleasure.